Hello, and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. We are thrilled to welcome to the podcast today, Sister Tracy Browning, a member of the Relief Society General Board. Sister Browning, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. On this episode of the podcast, we'll be discussing the topic of inclusion, which is extremely relevant and very important. But before we dive in, we wanted to share a little bit about our guest. Sister Tracy Browning was called to the Relief Society General Board in September of 2018. And in addition to her many responsibilities in this calling, which we'll talk more about, she currently works as an account service director in the publishing services department at the church, which is how I know Sister Browning. We worked together for several years, which was so lovely. (laughs) I, I learned so much and I just always felt really supported in my role. And I'm just excited that you want to be here with us today. Thank you. It's great to feel like we're talking with a friend. (laughs) Yes, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) We're definitely all friends here. (laughs) So we wanted to jump in. Sister Browning, you have a very unique background and life story. You were born in New York, spent a large time growing up in Jamaica, joined the church as a teenager. You attended college or university in Queens, New York. Can you share more about your upbringing and your story? Help us get to know you a little bit. And then talk about how your conversion to the gospel shaped your life and brought you to where you are here and and now. Sure. Thank you. You know, I grew up as a youth in a family that was definitely a a Christian household. My grandmother Mm -hmm. in particular, my father's mother, she was just a devout and faithful Christian woman. And when she moved to the United States, along with all her children, she really rooted and established her faith in a Presbyterian church in our community in New Jersey. And just really connected to those communities of believers. And and I was going to church and attending church and establishing a foundation of a relationship with my Savior and being curious and interested. I, I remember as a young person being very interested about what I was being taught at church. And I didn't always have the answers. I would ask questions and I would get varying responses to my curiosity. But I definitely remember being curious about religion. But as I kind of grew up and, you know, you get into your teenage years, Other things became of interest. And my mother, who was living in New York at the time, she joined the church. She became a member of the church. And I was living with my father and his family in New Jersey. And I would see my mother, you know, uh, on holidays and, and on weekends. And when I would go there, she would bring me to church, as a good mother does. And I had a great time, meaning that I really liked the Latter-day Saint community. And I really liked the people there, and they were really welcoming. But I wouldn't necessarily say that I was interested in in anything further than, this is nice. This is a nice place to be. Yeah, this is a nice place to be. But then my mom, one summer, said, you know what's a good idea? Let's go up to Palmyra, New York, Hmm. and watch a play. (laughs) And as a teenager, I thought, okay, that is a summer vacation activity unlike any that I've had before. (laughs) But, you know, what was I going to do? I had to be obedient to that suggestion. Request, yeah. Yeah. And so we went to Palmyra. And I had an experience there that was really tender and really sweet. I remember sitting and watching the presentation of just sort of the historical aspects of the Restoration And I remember asking my mom, so 
is this a reenactment of something real or is this a play? A story. Right. Yeah. So I remember think, having the impression of we're going to go watch a play outside and I didn't really understand that. But when I got there, it didn't feel like I was watching a work of fiction. It felt like a reenactment in my mind. And I was wrestling with this question of why does this feel like I'm watching something much more or less artificial? And then, as you do in Palmyra, if anyone has been there before, you go to a lot of the historic sites. You have a Sunday worship service, and I just felt more and more of the Spirit. And there, there were these seeds that were starting to be planted because I just I felt good. And when I got back, my mom wanted to capitalize on that feeling, and I sort of said, sure, if you want to invite the missionaries over and help me answer some of these questions that I was having We're based on this experience, let's do that. And two sweet elders came and taught me the gospel, and I was really enthusiastic as I was learning because for the first time, the inquisitiveness that I had grown up with, I started to feel like I had answers to the questions hmm. that I had had previously. And someone was now providing those answers, and I wasn't getting a strange response as I was asking the questions. I think I got timid because sometimes— the impression that I was having was these questions are not good to ask. Hmm. And what was your age at this time? This was about 15, 16. Okay. So I was baptized around my mother's birthday. That was significant to me as a gift to her because I know it was a desire of her heart for me to join her in that commitment. So that was a special time for me to be to choose to be baptized and be baptized um, around her birthday. And I shortly thereafter moved to New York to live with my mom just so that I could have that level of support and understanding from someone that was also a Latter-day Saint mm -hmm. and was walking on the covenant path and that I could have as much of her spiritual strength and growth as she was growing and maturing that that could, could support each yeah, other. Yeah, that, 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 that I could have difference. that. And honestly, the rest becomes history. But I often think about that 16-year-old version of myself who was just really earnest in her desire to be faithful to what she was feeling. And it did feel like a step into the dark. I really just did not have a lot. Now I know how much I didn't know <laughs> when I made that commitment. But it really was just a step into, I have a prompting from God that this is real. Mm -hmm. And this is true. And this is where he wants me. And I'm just going to say yes. And I feel like that applies to a lot of us today. It's just like we don't have all the answers, but we know enough to keep moving forward. And honestly, that makes it easier to get answers because we're doing what we need to do to receive revelation. And that's enough to keep going Absolutely. in the right direction. Absolutely. Just extending your faith, and we know that we're taught that faith is action, and extending that and showing our Savior that they're willing to act even though we don't necessarily know what the result of that action will be is enough for him to say, I see the level of commitment here and that your seriousness to this path that I'm going to illuminate it as much as I see fit for you and how much you can take. Because honestly, I think that if I knew just how much information, that would have been too much for me mm -hmm. to know at 16. There were things that I needed to first understand, as they say, line upon line, starting small, upon precept, mm -hmm. in order for me to really be ready to continue to make more commitments and make additional covenants and to grow in strength and in my spiritual capacity. So it's a blessing that the Lord works that way with us. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing your conversion story. We want to move now to your responsibilities as a member of the Relief Society General Board. And one of them that really stuck out to Carly and me was that you lead an inclusion committee for the Relief Society. Will you just tell us 
about your responsibilities in that role and what are some of the goals of the committee? Yeah, this was really a sweet assignment that I was so appreciative of the Relief Society presidency extending to me where they asked me to sort of lead with some additional sisters who serve on the board, working in conjunction with church employees who work in the priesthood department who have responsibility for implementation to come and counsel together and understand what are the concerns of members in the church who feel marginalized in the gospel, who don't feel like they quite fit for a lot of different reasons. That could be people who feel like they're on the margins because of issues like marital status, issues um, like race, issues like sexual identity, issues of, you know, we're, we're not exclusive to just dealing with issues that relate to sisters only, which I was so appreciative of, hmm. that the Relief Society presidency really said, this is not just an issue that affects the women of the church. And if we have an opportunity to talk to the entire membership and to broaden that reach, to make a bigger circle, that we should do that. And to do, so, do that through working through, through working, the Relief Society. Right, working through the Relief like Society that. and counseling with others to help us really understand how can we help members who are feeling marginalized find practical ways to get to that place of belonging in the church that we know is really important? And then how can we teach members of the church broadly, just the, the general membership, to have more empathy for those circumstances and understanding and how what is their part in helping others feel like we belong to Christ? And hmm. one of the outcomes is really just ensuring that we can reclaim anyone that is feeling like they're stepping away from the gospel because of issues of inclusion. And additionally, being able to provide those practical resources and tools and introspection and ideas to help the members generally. And for me, I always think about Mark in Mark chapter 9, verse 41. We're taught that we belong to Christ. And I think about how important that is for everybody to feel that. And what does belonging mean? That if I belong to the Savior, I belong in the Savior's church. And how can we ensure that all of the members of the church, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their unique needs, still feel like they belong here. This is their home. And one thing that I forgot to mention when I compared my experience as a new convert, I mentioned that I was a part of a, a religious community that my grandmother had set roots on. And that community was amazing. Mm -hmm. They were welcoming people. They were kind. They were loving. And I had a great experience there. And it laid some important foundations for me for when I joined the church. But I can tell you that when I became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I knew that I was at home. And there's a difference in being included in good places with good people and finding a home. And I think feeling at home here is because I feel like I belong here. And that may be the difference between the experience that I had early in my religious exploration and now where I am. And I want people to feel that. I want to feel like you belong here and this is your home because you belong to Christ and this is Christ's church. Mm -hmm. We make covenants as members of the church to connect to God and to connect to each other. And as Latter-day Saints, we take those covenants very seriously and we're trying to refine ourselves in order to live up to those covenants that we make and be patient with us as we continue to work to connect with you 
We desire to connect with you because we love God and we love you. And we want to build those bonds of fellowship and brotherly and sisterly relationship stronger because we know that that's what God desires of us. So I would definitely say that to those who are feeling marginalized in the gospel. And for those that are trying to understand how we can be more inclusive, I would, out. Mm-hmm. Right, I would remind them that love is going to always be the primary answer because it's contagious and it is the, the root of the answers to most of the questions of how can I be more inclusive? How can I have people feel like they belong is probably going to be found in how I can express love better. There's a quote from President Gordon B. Hinckley that I really love where he talks about not necessarily loving more, but loving better. And I think that that is a really key point here that we are going to learn. We're already on the path. We are covenant-keeping people. We love the Savior, and we desire to connect and live the first and second great commandment. And we're going to learn how to refine ourselves so we can love better, so that all of the body of Christ can be gathered. Because you know our president is very Mm -hmm. interested in the gathering of Israel. And this is we're talking about this work. This is the gathering work that he's seeking for us to do. And there is a place for us to look within ourselves to understand how we can love people better, so that they can be gathered in with us. I think that's really insightful to connect. That's what this gathering is. It's reaching out and bringing in those people who feel what they feel, maybe don't feel that they belong or feel marginalized. I I like thinking about it that way. And I love that you pointed out it really is as simple as keeping our covenants and trying to love better. And when we do that, we're trying, we're learning, we do get better, and we can receive more specific revelation to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I constantly remind myself that God doesn't ration his love. It's not a fixed commodity. Mm -hmm. It's offered to everyone. And we can consider how we're ensuring that we're expressing that love as broadly and widely as we can, and we're not rationing it. It doesn't feel exclusive, that it really has arms to reach beyond maybe the four walls of our homes or even our neighborhoods, whatever boundaries we set for each other. Always remember that love is bigger than whatever boundary Mm -hmm. our human mind can consider. We can always expand in this area infinitely. There isn't a cap. There isn't a limit. There's no top here. Mm -hmm. And that to me is really encouraging that Mm -hmm. I can be better here, that this is something that is hopeful. And, you know, President Nelson in this most recent conference talk talks about that bright future that we have to look forward to. And I feel that there's this great sense of hope. And he often references love. And I know that that's because it's an infinite well of opportunity for us to learn how to love better and more and deeply. And it's not something that we have to worry about rationing. And we shouldn't worry about Mm -hmm. rationing it. Well, and I think it's helpful to remember that that love is God-given. It comes and it overflows from our Heavenly Father, and He gives it to us, and there's more than enough to spare. Absolutely. I want to go back to this idea of loving better just really quickly, because I'm just thinking about, okay, what does that look like practically? Like I'm thinking about in my neighborhood, I'm thinking about to the sisters that I ministered to, 
what does this really mean for me to apply this? For sure. And what's great is that I'm not going to reference Tracy's doctrine. (laughs) It's really great that we have a set of scriptures that help to kind of clarify and explain Mm -hmm. this for us. And Mosiah 18, 8 through 9 for me really expresses what is our opportunity to love better and how can we do that in tangible ways? And it goes back to those simple baptismal covenants that we made, particularly the one that says that we're willing to bear one another's burdens. And how can we bear one another's burdens? You can't always take a problem away from a person or a challenge away from a person, but you can absolutely be there as a comfort. You can absolutely be there as someone who's willing to mourn with them and to hold their hand and to listen and to talk. We're in an interesting time because we're in the midst of a global pandemic, but I often think about how we can use our homes where I know that are those places of security that we're trying to build that President Nelson has asked us to do, Mm -hmm. how we can use our homes to invite people in so that they can also have the benefit of feeling Feeling that security, what that feels like. There are simple things that we can do, and the scriptures often tell us what the path is. And frankly, When we get on our knees and we know that as covenant-keeping people, we're entitled to that revelation, invite the Lord in the process is trying to figure out the answer to that question when it comes to your specific circumstance for the people in your sphere of influence. When we ask the Lord, what is it that you want me to do, Lord, for anyone that is in my circle, what can I do to, to offer help? Trust me, he knows his children really well, and he knows your strengths. And he can marry those things for you and put promptings in your mind. And if you will act on that, you will find that your capacity to love better will be magnified and will certainly increase. Thank you so much. Sister Browning, you've referenced this and we've been talking about this, but we do live in a difficult time. And as a worldwide church, as citizens of the world, we're all sort of navigating lots of really sensitive and critical issues And many people around the whole world are living in various states of political unrest. Tensions are high surrounding issues related to race. This is something that even our own church leaders have spoken out about recently. And these differences are really pulling on us, right? They're trying to separate us and pull us apart and cause divides. And we wanted to talk with you about how we can, as President Nelson has counseled, build bridges to each other to bridge these divides, create stronger bonds with those who have different backgrounds or opinions instead of separating ourselves from them and why that's important, how to build the bridges and why it matters. I think what's been disheartening to me um, during this time is what I'm seeing out in the world, our reaction to a trial and a struggle. The civil unrest that are happening right now is a reality and it's a sad reality. And I'm so grateful for our leaders who will be very forward and very clear and unequivocating, condemning things that are just not in alignment with what our Savior would have us do in our communities and in our lives and to each other and how we treat each other. So I'm grateful for that counsel. But, you know, the thing that I realize is I think that we are starting to believe that the division that comes from these challenges are a natural consequence of unrest. Hmm. And that isn't correct, that we can control our response to a trial. The civil unrest is a reality, but division does not have to be the reality. It doesn't have to be the consequence of that. Hmm. There is an opportunity for us to be unified, and there is an opportunity for us to really come closer together rather than drawing further apart. In D&C 38, we're taught that the Lord requires us to be one. And he's really clear about that. And he repeats it 
in his parables that he teaches in those scriptures about what is the expectation. It's a constant message for us to be unified. And I want us to consider how we feel when we have felt unified with someone. What does that mean to be one? How have you felt? If you think about a relationship in your life or a time in your life where you felt unified with someone, things that might come to your mind are things like you felt safe and you felt supported, you've felt helped, you felt like there's a confidence in that relationship, you felt trust. Even a recent conference talk from Sister Eubanks where she was laying out three ways to build unity, she told a story about her Relief Society president and how her Relief Society president told her that the thing that I can promise you is that I'll keep your name safe. And I so appreciated that. There's a depth of that relationship that feels unified. There is an opportunity for us to get closer together. When we acknowledge the experiences that are happening in the midst of this unrest to people, particularly in this situation, we're talking about Black Americans who are struggling with feelings of injustice in our civil society. When we can be unified and we all agree that these are not things that we want in our society, we can choose to become one in that understanding. And we can create these principles of safety and support and confidence when we're in the middle of the challenge, which is how are we going to deal with the realities of the unrest? So my recommendation is to consider what unity feels like personally for you, and then start the work to have conversations in your homes in the pews of your wards and in your communities about how can I be unified with people in our lives that are having maybe a different experience than I am? Mm -hmm. And how can I do that in a way that doesn't negate the experience? How can I expand that love by not negating experience Mm -hmm. and seeking to draw closer together around this issue rather than further apart? Division is not, it's within our control. It doesn't have to be a natural consequence of being in a trial. I really appreciate this conversation. The fact that you're saying division is not a natural consequence and that we need to strive for unity. I just think that is such an important concept right now. And I've had lots of friends lately just talk to me about how hurt they are by even family members that have different opinions. And it's so sad. It's been heartbreaking for them, you know, just around several different issues. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know from your perspective and experience, how can we give each other grace in this world that we're living in where people have such different opinions that cause this contention, even within our families? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that question. I think it's such an important question. And that word grace is such an important part of it because two things that come to mind. One, I want to acknowledge that the conversations that are happening in the homes and in in online spaces or wherever these conversations are happening, they're important. But we want to acknowledge that they can be difficult. and And that's okay. It's okay for them to be difficult because we're talking about things that maybe we haven't normally talked about. And mm-hmm. we, we don't have we a lot of make, experience right, talking about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure our expectations around the outcomes of these conversations are realistic. And I say that so that we can 
can kind of continue to have those conversations. Sometimes if we have an expectation that is unrealistic for how we're going to approach having sensitive conversations on topics like race and civil unrest and police brutality and, mm-hmm. and a lot of these things, if they don't go the way that we expect them, we tend to shut down and we, we want to avoid having that sure. conversation more. But really, now is the time for us to start the listening exercise and the questions, asking of questions, rather than polarizing ourselves within our own opinions immediately. Let's do the work to understand. You know that saying that says, seek to understand Mm -hmm. before you seek Mm -hmm. to be understood. We want to start with that work, and we can do that in our families. In families, we love each other, and we want to understand each other, and we want to be unified. That does not mean that everyone has to have the same opinion all the time. That's not necessarily what unity requires. Differences can exist among people that are unified. We always are looking and reaching for those higher principles that we have in common rather than tactical solutions to things and making the tactical solutions to the problems the area that divide us. So the reason why I'm really jumping on that word of grace is because we learn in the scriptures, it talks about how our Savior grew in stature, and it talks about him growing in stature grace by grace. And that is something outside of ourselves. Grace Hmm. is something that someone else extends to us. In that reference, the Savior is talking about grace that comes from his Father in heaven to elevate him and to bring him above his own capacity, probably his parents and the people in his community as he was growing as a youth to extend grace. This is something that we can offer each other as we're trying to become something. Remember, the objective here is not to stay in the same position. It's always to become more to become better, to become different. We're we're on a path of becoming. And in order to become, Mm -hmm. we have to have grace extended to us. And that happens in these areas where we start in one place not knowing a lot and we're trying to get to another place where we know a little bit more and we're trying to figure out what we can do with what we've learned and how we can actually act on what we've learned. We need grace in order to figure this out. It's not something that's always going to be spontaneous about our own effort. Others will Mm -hmm. help us in that refining process. So we have to be willing to accept grace and we have to be willing to extend it, especially in families. As we offer grace to people that we love in a family setting and we help to really extend a hand that brings them to a place of them becoming better than wherever they were, that's an important principle. And as we look to God to also help elevate us and to bring us up so that we can be better, because we know there's only so much that we can do, and we look for outside help, help Mm -hmm. that is divine and help that is from people who love us and Mm -hmm. understand us. I think this is so important because when you were describing, think about when you've been in a relationship or a community that's felt unified, this is something I thought about. I thought about people extending forgiveness and grace really easily and generously, right? It's not that there's nothing that rubs us wrong or that creates tension, but it's that, no, I I can forgive you for that or I can overlook this. And that's what grace means to me. And I think about my own relationship with my husband. I grew up in Utah in a very homogenous community that looked the same, that sounded the same, that you know we were all quite the same. And he grew up in the Midwest, in Illinois, in a very, very diverse community. And he was exposed to ideas and people and races that were different that I was never exposed to. And I feel like he's been very patient with me in the time that we've known each other helping me see and listen and understand things that I didn't see or understand. Yeah. You know, not having the exposure that he did. 
And I also think the other thing to talk about is that extending grace, there has to be an attitude of humility too, right? We have to all understand, we all have to extend and receive grace at different times. And that's something we do in humility and in a Christ-like way. Absolutely. When I talk about grace in these situations where we're having these tough conversations, I probably want to underscore that we all should recognize that these are sensitive topics. And it is important for us to maybe start out by saying, hey, I want you to know that I acknowledge that these topics are sensitive and that I don't understand everything because maybe of my background and because I don't have access to a lot of information that helps me to put some of this stuff in context. But know that if I ask a question, if I say it imperfectly, it isn't because I'm trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm trying to learn. So can I ask for that forgiveness in advance and know that there isn't anything intentional in this conversation that I'm trying to do to divide us. I'm actually trying to get closer to you or trying to get closer in my understanding, but I don't know. I don't have all the words yet, and I'm trying to understand how to get those words. And as a person who's receiving that and who's being asked to extend the grace from a person who's asking for it, we ought to remember that that is such a a beautiful thing for someone to tell us outright that they're not trying to hurt. And and that allows us to really go, yeah, that means that when you say something that may not necessarily align with your intention, that I am willing to offer loving and gentle correction. And it's not something that is going to feel harsh, but it's going to help you in that process of becoming whatever that becoming is. The connection that you're seeking with me or your understanding of this topic or I'm going to be safe with what I share with you. I know that if I'm vulnerable and I share experiences with you because you started out by kind of acknowledging that we want this to be a safe conversation, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to share some things with you and trust that you're going to hold those things in safety and we can move forward in understanding. I really appreciate that idea of setting that up in the beginning. You know, I'll offer you grace. Please offer me Mm -hmm. grace. And this is a safe space for us to share our experiences and our perspective, even if it's different, especially if it's different. And I think that gives us some concrete ways to move forward, to start reaching out, to start these conversations. I think that's really helpful. So thank you, Sister Browning. Well, and as members of the church, we have this eternal perspective about our identities as children of God and the relationship that we have with each other because of that. And this understanding that we have really should shape and influence the reactions that we have with others. And we've been talking about our covenants that we make and the responsibilities that we have with that. And I just love this quote from Elder Gong that he gave in a recent conference talk, and it's called All Nations, Kindreds, and Tongues. And he said, we need God's help to create lasting justice, equality, fairness, and peace in our homes and communities. Our truest, deepest, most authentic narrative, place, and belonging come when we feel God's redeeming love, seek grace and miracles through His Son's atonement, and establish lasting relationships by sacred covenants. And I just feel like that really is a good summary to so many things that we've been talking about. Love, grace, equality, fairness, you know, creating this in our homes and our communities. And so we know that we need to have this eternal perspective, keep our covenants, and bring all of these things into our homes and communities. But how can we do this, especially at a time that is so difficult? And how can God help us? You know, we know that He will, but how do we do it and how will He help us? I had two thoughts, and I'm hoping that I can remember 
to keep on track as I give you two thoughts. <laughs> so my first thought is Elder Bednar constantly admonishes us to ask ourselves, Lord, is it I? Have you heard that from him before? Yeah. Lord, is it I? Mm -hmm. And I remember Sister Michelle Craig's talk from this recent conference where she was talking about seeing people more deeply. She was referencing how the Savior does that, that he sees people differently and how she had a desire to see others like the Savior did. And she started articulating that she asked herself two questions. She says, what am I doing that I should stop doing? And what am I not doing that I should start doing? And I so appreciated that because I think sometimes as we are seeking to find and understand better our eternal identity, that we ought to continue to be asking ourselves, what am I doing that I should stop doing that doesn't help me understand my identity better? And what am I not doing that I should start doing that will help me understand my identity in such a way that I can be of more service to our Savior, especially when it comes to connecting with his children? And I think introspection is a really big part of that answer to your question. And introspection is not an examination that happens quickly. It's one that I think we ought to be pondering on and being really thoughtful on consistently and constantly. And I want to share an experience that I had recently where I was listening to a conference talk. And I remember listening to the words of this brother who was sharing these eternal truths over the pulpit. And I thought, wow this is amazing. Someone's really going to need this. <laughs> and then I walked away <laughs> and went about my day. Okay. And so relatable. Does, yeah. Doesn't that happen? Like, this is an amazing talk. Someone should listen this to this. To, and, yeah. maybe, and maybe a name of someone popped up in my head. I need to give this talk to so-and-so, right? And I walked away and went about my day. And then Something miraculous happened that I was so grateful for that occurred during the Spirit. I remember being in my kitchen washing my dishes and the Spirit reminding me of that talk and pricking my heart going, Tracy, 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 girl, girl, girl. <laughs> you are that person. <laughs> you, you, you need to. There are things in your life that could be refined to be in more alignment with this truth that you so quickly dismissed. Wow. I, I need you to be more introspective. Take a bit longer when you're hearing words that are the truths that will help you reach the salvation and the exaltation that you desire. Take the time to really be introspective. It is not a message that can be quickly dismissed. And I think we're, we suffer from that because we hear something and we go, well, I'm not like that. I don't do that. Let's move on. They're talking about someone else. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't always examine what am I doing that I should stop doing? What am I not doing that I should start doing? And if we were continuing to be that introspective when we are engaging with doctrine, when we're engaging with counsel that comes from the brethren over the pulpit, when we're reading messages from our leaders, when we're interacting with God's children, when we're on our knees and trying to hear the voice of the Lord. When we're trying to listen to the invitation from the prophet that says, let the Lord prevail in our lives. If we can but ask ourselves that question and then slow down and really seek to have that answer come and come at its own speed and come in its own way for us to pinpoint those areas, because they're not always 
glaring like the example that was given in the message. You might go, well, I'm not doing that, so that mm-hmm. must be, it's the only use we case. We go to the extreme. Right. Yeah. It's the only use case that we're talking about. But that's not correct. And I was so grateful for that moment at my kitchen sink when the Lord said, mm, I got some news for you. <laughs> there is an area here that we can work on, and I'm willing to help you, and we'll be more aligned if you're willing to do that work. We're going to be closer when you put the effort in to do that work. And sometimes that's where I get stuck. I'll hear a message and I'll think that is inspiring. Not necessarily that I'll think of, oh, that's inspiring for someone else, but it feels inspiring to me too. But then I don't take that next step to be like, well, what is it in my life that, like you mentioned, I can Mm -hmm. start doing or stop doing? And, you know, that's a simple step that I think has been missing for me. And I appreciate you've given such concrete and tangible Mm-hmm. kind of ideas and suggestions throughout this whole interview. But I love this idea too. just slow down, let these things simmer and process. And I think too, at this time, it's really easy to look outward and identify what other people are doing wrong and how they're perceiving things and processing things wrong and how much good could come about if we all applied this advice that you're giving us. Let's just apply that effort to our own change and our own behavior and let the Spirit work on us, and a lot of good could come from that. Absolutely. There's something that really struck me as we've said our leaders have been teaching us about abandoning attitudes of racism and prejudice. And as I was thinking about this and reading some recent messages, I really appreciated that both President Nelson and President Oaks have encouraged us that we, that Latter-day Saints, should lead out in this effort. And that struck me because it was like, that's an invitation for us to act is not just to follow along with what we see other people doing or we can kind of fall in line, but that we are being invited to lead out. And you've given us some really good suggestions and ideas of opening our arms, increasing our love, loving better, listening better, and being introspective about where we're at and about what our attitudes are. And for me, it it is, again, linked to our covenant. Remember Mm -hmm. that we're asked to stand as a witness of God. And when I hear that invitation to lead out, that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Our covenant to stand as a witness of God, we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are in the Lord's Church. We should be modeling this Mm -hmm. for the Mm -hmm. world. We're working so hard in our daily lives to refine ourselves, to have his image in our countenance, that there is a big opportunity for us to, as part of our witness, to show the world how we are living in alignment with the Savior's truth about abandoning these attitudes and helping to shape a future that looks like the Zion that God intends for us to have so that he can come back. And in talking about this future, you know, looking forward to this future and how can we shape that, a big part of that for me, like in my mind, I'm just thinking from the perspective of a mom teaching kids. And one of your assignments as a board member you shared with us has been participating in a church council addressing the needs of young mothers. And we would just love to know from what you learned in that assignment and also your experience as a mother— How can parents and teachers best talk to their children and youth about diversity and inclusion? What should our daily conversations be? That assignment with young mothers was such a tender 
assignment for me. Parts of it included being able to sit and listen to young mothers express their hopes and their worries and their challenges and their faith and their strength. And you realize that every time I get an opportunity to be with the sisters, it's the sweetest part of my calling and this assignment that I'm mastering this time. I just love to feel the strength that President Nelson talks about, the uniqueness of the women during this dispensation, because this dispensation is so unique. And we have women in this church who are just ready for that, that challenge of being in a very challenging time. And they're raising these families in earnest, and they're looking to help their children also be able to thrive and have bright futures during this unique time. And when I think about what we can offer our children, I know that there is an earnestness that we have when we talk about differences. We often talk about being colorblind. And this is an idea whose intent is really good. I know that there is such good intent to want to see everyone as the same. But what I would say is that we can elevate our differences that are important parts of the identity of people and cultures around the world. For instance, I am a Black woman who's part of the African diaspora, and those things are part of my identity. And I think that those parts of my identity are complementary to others who are not of my culture. There are things that I have learned as a result of the experiences being a Black woman in the African diaspora that are beneficial that can be offered. Referring back to Sister Eubanks' message on three ways that we can build unity. She talks about this idea of the swing, and she's talking about Mm -hmm. how in, in rowing or boating, swing is that movement that we have when we're all rowing in the same direction. And my strength in one area or somebody else's strength in another area helps us to propel that boat in the right direction, and eventually we'll get that swing. We it's a can, wonderful analogy. It is. It is a really great analogy and one that I so appreciated because I think that we can remember that differences do not need to be ignored or pretended. They can be appreciated. And what I think as we talk to our children and as they're in places where they have opportunity to recognize that they're in their friend groups or peer groups, in their schools and in their churches, that there are some others that they're interacting with that live in ways that are not exactly the same as the ways that they're living in their home, we can say that that's an okay thing. We recognize that another family who does something different is okay. And that's just how it is. That is how it is. And Mm -hmm. because when we talk about the things that we have in common, because I think that the intent of teaching our children not to see differences is about really focusing on commonalities. Right. Right. I know the intent is really not to pretend that there are no differences. It's to focus on. It's to focus on the commonalities. And what I'm saying is that the things that we have in common are higher principles. Just remember that. Even though another family is doing something differently than you are, it doesn't mean that they're not reaching for the exact same thing as you. They're still reaching for having education. They're still reaching for happiness. They're still reaching for success. They're still reaching for lots of the same goals that you are. They're just tactically going about it differently than you are. And that's okay. That's not about about differences. It means that we're not really that different after all. Mm -hmm. If we're reaching for the same things, we're just going about them in different ways. We can teach our children that because they can start to be curious. 
about other people. And for me, curiosity is the seed of connection. When we start to be curious about each other, we desire to Mm -hmm. understand and to see each other more deeply. That actually recently happened to me. My daughter came home from school and asked if she could have like a red dot on her forehead like her friend did. I think they're called bindis. But it gave me an opportunity to talk about how that is something that is very meaningful to her friend, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's something important to her and that she does it for a reason. And it was just, I don't know, I loved that opportunity to kind of highlight those differences and then talk about the things that are meaningful to my daughter and that they're different and that all of it's good. Yes. Mm-hmm. And how grateful that you can see an expression of of her friend's faith. And isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I that, told her she could ask yeah, her about it. And, yeah. and so I hope that that Initiated encourages her absolutely. to be like mm-hmm. that. And how great is it that she now knows, oh my gosh, I have a friend who has such an outward expression of faith. And when I see her, I can remember that and ask myself, what are my expressions of faith? My mm-hmm. friend, exactly. this is the way that she shows and shares her faith and reflects that to the world. What are the ways that I do that? That's harmony. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. one that enhances our own faith because we can examine the good that's happening in someone else's religious tradition that's different than ours, but makes us really examine and try to figure out, well, how can I be faithful, more faithful, mm-hmm. right. like unto my friend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate you're not talking about that we see differences just in the way Latter-day Saints live or practice. But we're talking about people who are not members of our faith and don't live a whole lot like us in many ways that we might think. And that what you're encouraging us to do is to just refrain from judgment. That's not really a part of this. (laughs) It's not really a part of this effort to create harmony. It's observing differences, accepting differences. And I think it's something that I just love to think about is that the differences are God-created. God created us all different. Yeah, and and that echoes across the earth. When you pull back, you know, I love seeing images of the earth from space because it's beautiful and it's cohesive and it's harmonious. Everything seems to be in its right spot and the colors reflect something that's really pleasing to my eye. And I think that when we pull back and we look at all of the differences that we have in the human family— it's also harmonious and it's pleasing to the eye. And I know that it pleases God. And we're existing in this experience together and he wants us to see that beauty, that beauty. And the beauty is not because it's all one shade. It's because all of these colors come together and the colors represent diversity in parts of the world and diversity in the way that we live and diversity in the way that we speak and in our interests. It comes together and it is, it creates harmony. It doesn't sound discordant. Trust me, it's harmonious to God. And we have to tune our ears to start to hear the harmony. Sister Browning, thank you so much for bringing in your experiences and your perspective. It's been incredibly enlightening for me. And I've thought of so many ways that I can start today implementing these things that we've discussed. So thank you. Thank you for having me. We're lucky to have you. Thank you so much. And it's so wonderful to be reminded that you and other sisters that bring a variety of perspectives are working together to represent the Relief Society, represent the women in the church, and like you've said, also be reaching out to the whole body of Christ to welcome them in and to help them feel that they belong. So thank you so much. Absolutely. 
And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We love hearing from you. So leave us a review on whatever platform that you get this podcast or a rating, and feel free to reach out to us with any feedback or ideas. Shaylin and I would love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcasts at churchofjesuschrist.org. And until next time, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shaylin Back. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.